We love seeing people on Sundays coming to our church and fellowshipping with us, but we need more than just that. You need a weekly encounter outside of church where you can go deeper in the Lord, deeper with your relationships with other people, and deeper in your walk. If you're looking for something more than just a Sunday experience, something closer, something more intimate, try our life groups. We have a number of life groups around the city, around the community, uh, for all people of all ages, of all interests, where you can come and you can minister, you can be ministered to. Just follow the instructions on the church website that will guide you to the perfect life group for you. And you can take that next step in your walk of faith by being part of a life group here at La Jolla Community Church. Nothing else, 
Great to be together again in worship here at La Jolla Community Church. Uh, we had a fantastic service out on the lawn today, and uh, if you are up for having uh, an outdoor experience that's safe and uh, comfortable and beautiful, we welcome you to come uh, to worship in person at 9 o'clock. But I'm so glad you're tuning in right now because we're continuing our series, uh, The Good Life According to God. Who doesn't want the good life is my first question of the morning. Who doesn't want the good life? Everybody wants the good life. The problem is, uh, somehow that phrase, the good life, is coming to mean some things that it was never intended to mean in our culture. Unfortunately, in our culture, it has come to mean wealth, affluence, and indifference. Uh, from the biblical perspective, it's about making a difference, uh, living a difference, uh, becoming uh, a person that Christ uh, intends you to be. Uh, but in our culture, somehow the idea of the good life is a life of opting out. I've got wealth, I've got affluence, and I can now be indifferent. Uh, that might sound harsh to you. But the fact is, uh, when we are lulled into uh, the, uh, the illusion of security through wealth and affluence, we become indifferent. We, in a sense, create a guard-gated community around ourselves. One would like to think uh, wealth and affluence would motivate us to make a difference. But it's usually not the case. Now, if you're the exception to that, fantastic. But if you're a person saying, gee, I still really aspire for wealth and affluence, uh, then I will make a difference. Be really careful about that because don't miss the good life in the process of what you think might be the good life. Uh, so pursuing wealth, affluence, and indifference is not the pathway to living a good life. Why? Because you don't know if it's authentic or not until it might be too late. If you're a guitar aficionado, uh, you're probably familiar with the fact that uh, the Gibson Les Paul 1959, recently at auction, was up for about $500,000. There's a controversy attached to it, though, because they, ca they can't authenticate that it's actually the guitar as represented. Why? Because the book that holds the key to that authentication disappeared 40 years ago. A missing book holds the key to determining the authenticity of what could be a half-million-dollar guitar. 
Our situation is, is quite different. We have a book that authenticates the good life. It's the Word of God. For example, in the Word of God, Micah 6.8, we're told this. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. We're given a definition of the good life. Let us, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in Galatians 6.10, we read, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We start close in, and we move out from there. That's a very different view of the good life. It says nothing about what you have or don't have. It says everything about who you are authentically in the Lord. So the first big idea of this morning, the first big point is this. The good life according to God is a life of love and abundant generosity. The good life according to God is a life of love and abundant generosity. So let's just say you are blessed to have wealth and affluence, but now, because you're living the authentic version of the good life, that simply is going to be leverage in your life to make a difference. And this might be a shift for you. It might be a confirmation of what you're already doing. Uh, There's a wonderful old hymn uh, called It Is Well With My Soul, written by Horatio Spafford on the occasion uh, marking... Uh, the loss of his children at sea. His wife and children were going from Chicago to London, actually from New York to London, on a great, great, beautiful uh, ocean liner called the Ville de Havre. And uh, sadly, uh, the ship sank. The children were lost. And so when Horatio Spafford got on the next ship to go to London to meet his wife, he asked the captain to point out the place where the Ville de Havre went down. And at that point, he, he... he, he took the words from the book of Lamentations and he wrote this beautiful hymn that we know as It Is Well With My Soul. And from that time on, Horatio and Anna Spafford, uh, though they were still wealthy, affluent people, they made a, a very intentional decision to leverage everything they had uh, to honor God and bless people. Now, they'd already been gen- you know, somewhat generous and they were already genuine, sincere followers of Jesus. But that kicked into gear an understanding and an appreciation of what the good life is really all about. That's a powerful, powerful reminder that the authentic life that we yearn for is found in Christ alone. And so it's a life of goodness and service, not a life spent demanding goods and services. (laughs) It's a life of goodness and service, not a life spent in demanding ever more goods and ever more services. So we read in Proverbs eleven twenty five, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Why? Because it's refreshing to practice generosity. Again, you don't have to have money to do that. You can use whatever is at hand, your attitude, your words, your presence. And in doing so, a generous person will prosper. They'll be filled with the life that God alone provides. Their life will have a deep sense of meaning and purpose in spite of maybe their lack of material wealth. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Psalm 112 uh, verse 5 says it this way, Life is good for the one who is generous and charitable, conducting affairs with honesty and truth. There's an alignment in our character 
that makes us congruent. Who we are inside is who we are uh, everywhere. So who are the most generous people you know? Let's get personal about it. Who are the most generous people you know? I'm not asking you to rate or rank your friends or family. But when you think about people in your life who you say, oh yeah, sure, they're for sure generous people. Think of how they give time, talent, treasure, how they use their connections, how they express love. Uh, those are the, the, the most important criteria. When you think of them as generous people, would these be the criteria that you're seeing? The way that they give time, talent, treasure, connections, and love. They don't have to be wealthy, powerful, popular, or even perfect to practice this goodness expressed in generosity, rooted in the love of Christ. And let me ask you this question, getting ever more personal. Who could name you as a generous person in their life? If asked the question, who comes to mind when you think of generosity? Who would say, oh, I can think of, and they'd say your name. Generous with encouragement, kindness, care, loyalty, compassion, honesty, goodness. I've been so blessed by generous people, and that has shaped me. That has shaped me. You see, but for being uh, socialized into being generous, mentored into being generous, taught to be generous, we all will remain fairly acquisitive, holding on to our stuff. We just might need it. You know why your garage needs to be cleaned, why you have to hire a storage unit? Because you're afraid that all the stuff you have you might need. A friend of mine who grew up in Africa said that they would catch monkeys by putting shiny objects, attractive objects, in a jar just big enough for the monkey to slip their hand into. And once they grabbed the object in the jar, they couldn't pull their hand out because they wouldn't let go of what this new treasure represented. And so my friends and his friends would catch these monkeys. We're all monkeys when it comes to being acquisitive. We need someone to teach us, to demonstrate for us what it looks like to be generous. I hope there are people in your life who are doing that, who have done that. I hope you're becoming that kind of person to influence other people in doing likewise. So the first idea of the morning is this. The good life according to God is a life of love and abundant generosity. The second point is this. The goal of generosity is to bless, not impress. It's not about impressing people. I am so generous. Have you noticed? It's about blessing people under the radar, behind the scenes, without them possibly even knowing about it. And if they have to know about it, fine. But you're not doing it to impress them. You're doing it to bless them. This is the difference between hospitality and entertaining. When you entertain people, you're trying to do whatever it is to live up to the expectations you think they might have. You're maybe doing it for validation or approval. You're trying to be a good host, but really it's some meeting some standard that you have in your own head or you perceive they have in theirs. Whereas hospitality is very different than entertaining. First of all, it's less stressful. What you're doing when you practice hospitality is welcoming somebody into your world, being sensitive to their needs, finding out what would make them feel most comfortable and at home. It's an act of generosity. You're trying to bless someone, not impress someone. And Barnabas is a fantastic example of this in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we meet this man named Barnabas, who was generous in time, talent, treasure, and connections. Why? Because he'd experienced the love of Christ in a transforming way. And so he was a wonderful initiator, a fantastic connector, a consistent encourager. I love those words. Uh, I, love, I love when I see people initiating things. We often are waiting for other people to reach out to us and to initiate. Well, they didn't call me. They never text me. They don't invite me. They don't include me. Well, hey, take the initiative. 
I also love it when I see people connecting other people. They see somebody with a need, and they think, oh my gosh, I know somebody who maybe could help with that need. And they put them together, and then they get out of the way. And likewise, I am always moved and inspired when I'm around people who are encouraging other people. Not blowing smoke at them, lying to them, thinking it will make them feel better. But encouraging by calling out actual behaviors and attitudes and practices that they see in someone and saying, you know, I really appreciate that about you. I really find that helpful in how you do that. I want to emulate that. That's what encouragers do. Again, not to impress, but to bless. Just by being themselves in the Lord. Beautiful things happen that other people say, I so appreciate that. I hope you start to do that with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with people um, uh, who are colleagues at work. Noticing them enough to be able to call out a specific behavior, attitude, action that you find so helpful and encouraging. Uh, That will be a great affirmation of them. It's an act of generosity to take the time to initiate, um, to connect, and to encourage. So let me walk you through uh, a few interesting episodes in Barnabas' life to give you a sense of who he is, was, how he was developing as a person, and how he, by God's grace, was in turn developing other people simply by being present as himself. First of all, in Acts chapter 4, we see this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the, the apostles' feet. So he's, he's a Jewish man uh, who is from the tribe of Levi, Levi. If you remember, in the Old Testament, uh, the, 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 uh, the sons of Jacob were given property. So 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes was uh, Levi, the tribe of Levi, we, we would say. But in the, in the case of Levi and his tribe, uh, the other 11 tribes were given regions of land as, in, in, within the promised land. Uh, Levi was given the privilege and the responsibility of, of being the priestly tribe, those who supported the, the, the nation in worship of God. So this man now, uh, Joseph, who lives in Cyprus, is a Levite. Uh, probably uh, he was a business person who was a godly man in every way, so therefore he's got property, and he sells it and gives it all to the apostles to be used to bless uh, the body of Christ. Interesting that he was so consistent in this kind of behavior that, he, that, that his nickname became Barnabas, son of encouragement. What's your nickname? What would your nickname be? I'll think about it. If somebody was calling out to you, what would, what would, if they really did just speak to how they experienced you, what would they call it? Hey, too busy, too busy. Could you come over here and help? Oh, you're too busy. Okay. Hey, stingy. We need some. Oh, oh that's right. You're stingy. Uh. Hey, I, oh, you're preoccupied. What would your nickname be? Would it be daughter of encouragement, son of encouragement? Oh, you're the great connector. Oh, you're a fantastic encourager. I love the way you initiate. What would your nickname be? And let me ask you this. Do you want Barnabas on your team? Any kind of team that you're on or or leading, do you not want people like Barnabas on the team? They make a, com- a contribution that brings the best out in everybody. Uh, what are you bringing to the people in your life? What are you laying at the feet of people in your world? Here's more problems. I thought you'd really like them. Here's more demands. Here's more of my unexpressed expectations. Here's more of my resentments toward you, my frustrations with you. Or are you laying things at people's feet 
can allow them to say, you have blessed me immensely. Who are you encouraging? Who feels like life is better because you're in it with me? When I want to give up, you keep me going. You find to say the right word of, of comfort or confrontation that I need. Well, let's go on. Acts chapter 9, we see when Paul, the apostle, came to Jerusalem. Remember, this is Paul who was Saul who was persecuting the followers of Jesus. When he comes to Jerusalem, he tries to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Why? Because they didn't believe that he really was a disciple. They still thought he was a guy that maybe was trying to trick them into revealing that they're followers of Jesus, and he's now going to clobber them. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey to Damascus, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus, fearlessly as in risking his life. Barnabas is reaching out to Paul. He's taking the risk to include him, to welcome him. Who are you reaching out to? What difficult potential barriers, socially or otherwise, are you crossing in order to connect with people to make them feel welcome in the body of Christ? Don't decide for them. I don't think they'll like it. Don't be embarrassed. Well, I'm not sure if they'll like us. Just reach out and welcome them in. Acts 11 tells us this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, Stephen was stoned for proclaiming uh, the Lord. In Jerusalem. So people uh, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Antioch being the largest city uh, then in, outside of uh, Rome. Uh, it had been the, the epicenter of the Greek culture under Alexander the Great. It was, a, it was an amazing place. And so people had gone there, having been pushed out by persecution in Jerusalem, and, and they had told uh, not only Jews about Jesus and now Gentiles about Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. This is not just a passing fad he's telling them, apparently. This is real. This is good. Hang in there. Keep going. And he's described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. What evidence of grace are you seeing and calling out? What ways are you seeing God working in you that you recognize and appreciate? What, but what ways are you seeing the evidence of God's hand at work during this COVID time? How are you seeing the evidence of God's hand in your marriage, in your family, in your attitude at work, in your friends who are struggling to live out their faith. What evidences of grace are you seeing that you need to call out and affirm? This is what Barnabas did. Again, he wasn't making anything up. He was simply giving feedback on what was actually going on. You know, we're so often immersed in our own world with all the challenges and problems that come uh, uh, over the transom of our ships every day that we need somebody to say, you know, this is not bad. This is actually very good. If you remember back the story of Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, and yet ends up being the savior of his people, now as the right-hand man to Pharaoh years later. And when his brothers realize that the one they thought they had gotten rid of is now the most powerful, second most powerful man in their world, they think he's going to do them in. But he says to them, no, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. 
Joseph is calling out to his brothers the good thing that God did in spite of the horrible circumstances that led them here. What evidence of grace do you see and are you calling out? Then we see in Acts chapter 11 again, then Barnabas went to Tarsus, another city in modern-day, now modern-day Turkey, not far from Antioch. Antioch was in the region we know as Turkey, Syria. So now Barnabas, having seen the evidence of grace, says, you know what, I know what they need. They need good teaching. He goes to Tarsus and gets Saul, Paul the apostle, brings him back. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Who are you partnering uh, with for God? Whose team are you on? Who are you conscripting? Who are you inviting to do ministry with you? Who are you getting together to pray with, to talk and encourage each other in your faith? And then saying, hey, what do you think we could do together for the Lord? Why is this such an unusual category for followers of Jesus in America? That we stay indifferent and distant and so passive. We hope somebody does something, but it certainly won't start with us. But Barnabas shows that you don't have to be uh, anything other than resourceful to say, hey, Saul, there's a need here. I think your gifts would really be a good fit. Would you come check it out? And a year later, they're saying, this is so good. Let's keep it going. And they kept it going. You see in Acts 11 again, uh, during this time of severe famine, spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples there in Antioch, a wealthy city, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. That's the area around Jerusalem. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This partnership is now not just a teaching partnership, but because they are trustworthy people and people of of high regard because they've demonstrated not only their capacity and their integrity, but their commitment, they're entrusted with all this money to take it from Antioch back to Jerusalem and give it to the elders of the church in Jerusalem on behalf of the people in Antioch. Powerful. Are you a trustworthy person? Do you champion generosity? Do you and your partners somehow create value wherever you go? This is the picture that's emerging. It's a powerful, powerful picture. It's not beyond your grasp. You cannot claim the excuse that, well, I don't have enough or I'm too busy. What God has put in your hand and in your heart and your head is useful if you're willing to use it for him. Why? Because you're so busy with a good life. You're saying, if this can bless people, I'm in. And then you, you, you do your best to leverage what you have to bless other people. Acts 13 tells us this. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting one day, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Wow. They had together, Paul and Barnabas, raised up these incredible leaders who now were so wise they could say, you know what? We believe there's more for you guys to do. And on our behalf, would you go to other Gentile places, other places where Jews live, and tell those Jews that the promised Messiah of God has arrived. He's Jesus, the Messiah. And tell the Gentiles who are worshiping idols and false gods the same story. And so Paul and Barnabas, in this case Barnabas and Paul, are set aside. That means they're commissioned and equipped and supported, and they're sent off. Eventually Paul does three missionary journeys with different partners. But initially it's with, it's with Barnabas. 
we are the church because of their work. Had they not done, had they not answered that call, we wouldn't be here. Are you answering the call of God? Well, what is it? It sounds mysterious. Well, it is sort of mysterious, but it becomes very clear when you're leaning in and living the good life. When you're paying attention to God's evidences of grace in you and around you, you'll find that out of the blue, things will emerge that you'll say, I guess that has my name on it. I guess I'm supposed to do that. You might not have to move. You might not have to change much by anything uh, in any way in your life. Or you might have to change a lot of things. But the fact is God is constantly calling us, first of all, to walk with Him and to be in communication uh, with Him through His Holy Spirit and His Word. To be in fellowship and community with brothers and sisters in Christ. And to use the gifts He's entrusted to us. That's what your calling is. Uh, the Latin word, vocare, vocation. Your real work in life is not just the job you do. That's part of it. The responsibilities you have, that's part of it. Your overall calling is to live the good life in such a way that you become useful to God uh, in, in every possible way. And you help others capture that sense of responding to God's call as well. So the third point, if the first point was this, the good life according to God is a life of love and abundant generosity. The second point being that this good life of generosity is to bless, not impress. The third Big idea and point is this. You will live the good life according to God by living generously in His name. Now hopefully you've picked up the fact that when I'm, I'm using the word generous and generously, generosity, I'm not just talking about giving money. Certainly uh, that's, that's a significant thing we can give. It's about giving you. What is it that you have, that you are, that can bless other people? Not to earn God's love, but to live out of God's love. Not to, to, to somehow be worthy of God's goodness, but to express the goodness of God in you. So start with yourself. What do you need? Are you allowing people to pray with you and pray for you? Are you allowing people to mentor you, to teach you the word? Are you showing up and paying attention when you have an opportunity to worship God, to be in a life group, uh, to learn some skills that allow you to serve the Lord? Are you becoming familiar with the content of Scripture so that you have a theology, a whole worldview emerging that allows you to make sense of who you are, where you are, and what you want? You have a sense of the history of the movement of God's work in this world. If not, why not? Again, don't plead busyness. It's laziness that keeps us ignorant and out of play. So start with yourself. Let the generosity of God wash in and over you and through you. What do you need to be ready to do this? You can't give what you don't have. God will equip you. He will use people, life experiences, a church, a small group, a personal Bible study, ministry experiences. He'll use, he uses all that to shape you. You need his resources to live generously. Then you'll be able to give what you receive. Not out of Maybe some excess. I have a little bit of left over here or there. But out of the substance of who you are. That's why Jesus said, out of you rivers of living water will flow. And so then, living the good life according to God by living generously in his name looks like this. You use all of your resources generously, creatively expressing who you are in Christ. Horatio and Anna Spafford, in their travels, recovering from grief, spent time in Jerusalem, 
You saw a desperate need at the end of the, of the 19th century. Uh, Ottoman Empire was a mess. People were starving. Children were orphaned. Uh, there, were, there, was, there were so few resources available. Uh, the Ottoman Empire was fraying and falling apart coming into the 20th century. And seeing those needs, they responded accordingly. And eventually they bought a beautiful home there that would have been a Pasha's residence. They filled it with people who then in turn served the community. They created orphanages. They created schools. They created the first hospitals. Uh, they contributed so much that the people said, that's the American colony. They called their home the American colony. Well, now, uh, generations later, the American colony has become a hotel. All the generations of the Spaffords uh, uh, died, and eventually uh, what, what had been this gathering place for ministry now is the fine, one of the finest hotels in Jerusalem. It's a Relais Chateau uh, five-star hotel called the American Colony Hotel. That's the legacy uh, that they left to us. Uh, they used their resources so generously, so creatively to express who they were in Christ. So to this day, it's called the American Colony Hotel. It stands as a testimony and a testament to the good life, not just a luxurious life, but a, a life of blessing other people in the name of Jesus. So apply your abilities also in committed collaborative community building. Not an exclusive community that holds people out, but an inclusive community that draws people in. Invite somebody to join your life group. Create a life group. Keep, stay in the one you're already in and start a new one too. I welcome people to come to worship on the lawn or to participate with you in something that you find helpful in growing in your faith. If you're doing uh, acts of mercy, works of service in the community and beyond, invite people to be part of that with you. Again, don't plead you don't have enough time, talent, treasure, connections, or love. There's plenty of all that as you respond to the Lord. And then invest time and attention building up others in their life and in their ministry. Be a mentor to others. If you're not ready to do that, recruit a mentor or a coach to prepare you to mentor and coach others. If you're a parent, you are the primary mentor to your children about the good life. If you have leadership responsibilities at work, you have a way of mentoring people. Perhaps you can't talk about your faith, but you can mentor them in all the things that you've found valuable in living out your faith. And it might be that a person would say, where is this? Where do you get this stuff? It's so good. You say, well, I get it from the Word of God. I get it from my experience with Him. And I simply apply it. Finally, I say this. Read Bob Goff's book, Dream Big. Bob Goff, uh, Dream Big, number three on the New York Times bestseller list last week. Uh, we're reading that as a staff, a, a board, and, and, and asking the whole congregation to read that. And then watch this amazing series called The Chosen. Uh, go online, uh, uh, Google in The Chosen, uh, download the free app, and they will direct you to how you can watch these, epi these eight episodes. So creative, so compelling, the best I've ever seen about depicting uh, the life of Christ. So read, dream big, watch The Chosen. These are part of the transition uh, into the next season for you and experiencing the good life of God. Why is this important? Your church absolutely depends on it. Your culture depends on it. If you think it's been bad so far in the COVID, the outworking of all that we've gone through the last several months is only going to intensify in the next year or two. You and I, all of us together, need to be ready and resourceful to minister not only to our congregation, but through our congregation to the community. This is going to be continually such a disruptive time. It's these times that the good life 
experienced by the people of God is the greatest gift that we can offer our culture. If there's anything to do with what we do that is culture shaping, it's this. So Lord, I pray for each one listening to this and hearing this, that you would drive this into our heart through your love. And then you'd pull it out of our hearts by your love so that we could experience it and express it in ways that have significant social impact in our immediate families and networks of friends, but also in the community around us and beyond. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have a great rest of the day. And uh, let me leave you with this word. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and to be gracious to you. May the Lord uh, overflow you with his light and his love now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.